And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they cried out in one voice, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Well, hey, church, good morning. Glad to see you today. And uh, I, I'm believing today is going to be a powerful day as we dig into the Word of God. Last Sunday, we started a new conversation um, around this series called Tribe. And uh, I really pray today at the topic that we discuss is one that, well, let me be honest, it's one that's been challenging me. It's been challenging me because I believe we all deal with this. And we're going to talk about the topic of judgment and not judgment in the sense of how God judges humanity, but how we judge one another. And it's not surprising. I don't need to convince any of you about the division and the discord that is prevalent right now in our culture. You feel it. You see it. I'm on social media. You can see it on the news. You can hear it in conversations. You could be gathering with family and you could be gathering and talking for 15 minutes. You could be gathering over for a birthday party that that is the subject of the gathering um, and the focus of the gathering and within minutes the focus is diverted to division and discord and then all of a sudden conflict breaks out and everyone is arguing and and I, I want you to know something last week when we talked about us focusing on what brings us together that's not a one-time thing. That's not like, oh, I got that. That is a daily submitting of your spirit and your soul saying, God, I am under you. I'm going to walk in humility and I'm going to be sensitive to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. This passage uh, of scripture uh, that we kind of took the series title from is found in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. I want to read this again. And it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall shall reign on the earth one of the challenges um, every every Sunday when I'm preparing to communicate to you is really what brings change the only way you deal with social reform and injustice and really spiritual transformation is if truth's declared. And we can agree on that and say truth is the one thing that actually heals people and helps restore people. But we live in a time today where truth is not always celebrated. And uh, you begin to share truth and, and people may have a pushback against you. And you say, well, this is what the word of God says. And what is so unique in this time when, when discord and division is high, you can agree on the same thing, but disagree on the delivery method of truth. And so when the discord is so high, you say, no, I believe this, but I'm going to deliver it this way. The other person says, I'm going to deliver it this way. And you say, well, I don't agree with that. And I don't agree with this. Discord can happen in a multitude of ways. And the enemy wants discord, period. He doesn't care how it happens. He don't care the method, the approach, who initiates it, who responds to it. He just wants discord in the body of Christ. If we really believe that, that truth sets people free, we need to recognize Jesus said this. He says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And we need to know that, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we represent Jesus. I love this today because on social media, um, and we'll talk a little bit about social media and the way that it's shaped our 
uh, maturity or lack thereof, I should say. And um, but I, I love when people say that's not Christ-like. It's not Christ-like. Um, do you know how many times Jesus would respond to people? And I just wish he I wonder what his response is when when we talk to one another. We say that's not Christ-like. You know how many times Jesus would, would share a parable to people and he says, though who has those who have ears, let them hear. You know what he's almost saying? Like, if you want to receive it, receive it. If you don't, don't. I'm not going to force you to receive something because you can't. You, you can't force feed someone to change their heart. And this is what I know. Discord and 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 disunity, they're never forcefully resolved. Like you never forcefully resolve a prejudice or discrimination. Say, you will stop it. You, you can't do that. Why? Because it's a heart thing. Um, I want us to approach the topic of judgment and understand this as we get into this, is that there is a right way to judge someone and a wrong way to judge someone. And there's a biblical approach and there's a non-biblical approach to judging people. And some of you may be shocked by even hearing that because you might have always, met, well, maybe you revert to Matthew chapter 7 where it says, do not judge. We're going to talk about that passage but that's often misunderstood and even not approached uh, appropriately, I should say. Um, the Bible does instruct us to, to judge, but in a certain way. And as we uh, dig into this, I want you to let us begin by, by just stating this, this first uh, principle. When we judge somebody or we approach somebody, it happens very naturally. And maybe when I say the word judgment, you're like, well, no, I don't, I don't judge people. No, yes, you do. Yes, you do. We all judge people. And I guess when I say judgment, you don't want to agree that you judge people because of the tension of racism that exists in our country. So when you hear judgment, you're like, no, 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 that's not me. No, let's, let's, I, I would, it would be inappropriate for me to suggest that judgment only happens in the area, in the area of someone's race or in the color of their skin. Judgment happens in every aspect of society. It happens in every venue of of the culture that we live in. Um, and this is what happens. I, I want you to get this because it's a very natural thing. We identify differences in actions right away. When we connect with people, we immediately see differences amongst ourselves, right? We identify, we're like, ah, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they started to get a little, a, a, a little like kind of, they were stuttering their words, kind of like I'm doing right now. And they were kind of a little embarrassed and getting a little, and their spouse was there I was with Pastor Joanne, and you remember they said, oh, he gets self-conscious about his accent, about his accent. I said, well, why? He goes, because then people know where I'm from, and then I feel like I'm being judged. And so every time we have these senses in the appearance, and I, and I, I just wrote a few things down so that, I, so that we can understand this on more of a level playing field. We judge everyone and everything. We judge people on their religious beliefs, their educational backgrounds. Did you go to a public school or private school, state school, county school? Ivy League school, where did you go? We judge people in their family unit. Were you raised by a single mom or a dad, grandparents, aunt, uncle, both parents? We judge people on the zip code they were raised in, the income they have, the career they have, the vocation they have. We judge people on the clothes they wear, how they wear their clothes, what type of jewelry they have, what they don't have. We judge people on the car they drive, on the car they don't drive. We judge people on the stickers they put on their cars. We judge people on they, if they have tattoos. Do they not have tattoos? If you have tattoos, where are the tattoos? What do the tattoos say? You see what I'm saying? There is a level of judgment that's so extreme, and a lot of us would try to convince ourselves, oh, I don't do that. I don't I don't do that. No, you do that, but there's nothing wrong with seeing differences in people. I want you to get this. The demon is not in the differences. 
It's in how we react and respond to the differences. So culture would have you say because of the differences, it creates division. Differences don't create division. Our response to differences create division. And so this is, and I want you to hear this because this is a plot of the enemy. He wants to convince you that if you can stifle differences of opinions, of concepts, of people, peace will be had. That's a lie. That's a lie. It, it doesn't happen. When you stifle differences of opinion, of approach, of method, it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring peace. And so I suppose what I'm attacking most is this idea or this construct that says if the method is not done in something that is appealing to you, then you attack it. That's not the approach that we're called to, according to the Word of God, to deal with differences. I want us to look at differences and be able to celebrate them and be able to say, hey, you know what? Um, you are different in this area, in that area, in this area. And rather than saying it's going to divide us and bring disunity, why don't we celebrate the differences that we have amongst ourselves and allow it to be under the umbrella of who Christ is so it brings greater strength and unity? Listen, you have to know that there's an agenda by, uh, of the enemy. He has an agenda, and the agenda is to bring division and discord. Division and discord. And so if you know that, stepping back from the big picture and saying the enemy has an intention to divide us, to divide us. You need to understand that the only way that we overcome this is not only through the power of the Holy Spirit, but is a heart that says, I'm willing to forgive quickly, quickly. The only way that your spirit is going to be good through all the division and the tension and the discord in our culture today is that if you have a spirit that immediately says, when you feel like you're being offended, you say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. You have to forgive because if not, you're the one that carries the offense. And then every time you move forward, you carry offense with you and you never actually can celebrate someone else's differences. Let me give you an example. Because this is always associated with, with racism today. It's associated with movements today. It's associated with politics today. But let me just bring it home to a little bit of a more realistic concept um, for those of you who are married. When you get married, um, you'll realize within the first fight or argument that you have, it is literally the easiest trap that the enemy puts before you. When your spouse does something that frustrates you and, and creates a little division in, in the way that you're operating, all of a sudden the focus that you now have on that person is based upon the things that they do wrong. And so every time that person does something, I am reaffirming that belief that I carry. It's like, oh, they're lazy. See, look what they did. I, I knew it. They sleep five minutes. Nope, they're lazy. Or I might say, oh, they don't care about me. Well, what's substantiated that? My focus and the view by, by how I see them is, is trying to prove the fact that they don't care. So every time something happens, I say, see, they don't care. See, they don't care. We talked about it several weeks ago when Doc and I were sitting down talking about deductive reasoning and inductive. Remember that? Having a presupposition before you approach it. It's the same with relationships. It's basically saying, are you for me or are you against me? And a lot of times we say to other people, oh, if you have a difference, you're not for me. So every time someone says something or does something, it's either affirming it or it's not. And I think the danger in this is that when is that when we're offended, we don't know how to, one, move forward and develop our maturity in Christ. But more importantly, we don't know how to deal with one another. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't know how to celebrate differences, you'll never get along with people. Your marriage won't be successful. Your relationships won't be successful. You won't know how to develop um, a broader sense of community with people. 
Because we need to celebrate differences. There's nothing wrong with, with someone coming to me and saying, hey, this is what I believe. Some of you, some of you still seem to think I'm talking about issues of politics, issues of racism, issues with COVID-19. Let's just, you know what, let's bring it really close to home. Let's talk about Christianity. Let's talk about Catholicism and Protestants. Then let's move to the Protestantism. Let's talk about just the Protestant faith. Let's talk about the multitude of denominations within Protestants. Let's talk about, do you lean more to a Calvinist belief? Do you lean more to an Arminius belief? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? What, what happened? You see that? All, we have all these differences, and some people get massively offended. How dare you say that, and you believe this, and you believe that? And there's this thing, hold on. We could believe 99% of the same thing, but how do we get stuck on the 1% that we can't agree on? Do you know why? Because the enemy wants us to focus on that which divides us and our focus becomes so big. We're like, wait, and can I just say this? I might be going off track, but a lot of people today in our culture, whether pastors or other people, and I have to caution myself in doing this, you don't bring healing by identifying what causes division. You don't bring healing by identifying what causes division. Now, I know sometimes that, that what lies hidden can never be healed. Yeah. Don't ever believe that just talking about something brings healing to it. Right. I, it's, 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 if, unless Christ is at the forefront of the discussion, it doesn't bring healing to it. It just circulates division and causes greater tension. The only way healing comes out of the speaking and proclaiming of truth is if Christ is at the beginning. And this is what happens. A lot of people say, we need to talk about this. We need to deal with this. And you know what? You're right, we do. But it's not circulating amongst the opinions of people. It's what does Christ say about it? And so I think for all of us as, as followers of Christ, if we're talking about differences or opinions that people have or tensions or injustices or discriminations in society, we need to identify them, we need to listen, we need to learn, we need to lean into them, but we need to know the antidote to all of that is Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus, he has to be the antidote, because if he's not the antidote, then all, of, all we're trying to do is circulating opinion. And sometimes, do you, know, do you know why I know this doesn't work? Because a dissenting opinion um, on social media is, is squelched, and the opinion becomes the complete perspective of the person and so we don't want to entertain a differencing a difference of opinion and and it's a dangerous place to be in because then we take an opinion and we replace it with the person and instead of seeing the person we see the opinion and what that does in a culture and a society is says listen i'll permit you to have an opinion but the moment your opinion goes against my opinion then you you can't have an opinion or then you can't be my friend and we have to be mature enough to say you know what do you different opinion than me that's all right. I still love you. I still care about you. Let's talk through it. I want to understand. I want to hear. I want to listen. And I, I, I would challenge all of us today and to, to be able to, to understand what do you really believe? What do you really believe in your heart? Like, what do you really believe God's calling you to do? And how is he calling you to exercise and communicate to other people that are in your world of influence? I realize that the differences do not bring division and discord. Differences actually bring strength to the relationship that is formed. And you know in your, in your marriages or with your family and friends, when you learn to celebrate one another's differences, it brings strength to you guys. Like, you know, some of you are better at doing one thing than the other. And imagine if you were exactly the same. 
then you would both have to be weak in all the same areas, but because you have differences in your personalities, you can actually carry the weight and the challenges of life together because why, you're the same? No, because you're different, you can actually accomplish more. And I would say, why do we do this? Like, why do we judge? What is it in us that we like see someone? I, guys, I'm not, gonna, I'm not admitted from this. I do this all the time. I, I remember um, talking to someone and whenever you're insecure or whenever you feel pressured or whenever you feel like you're being ostracized in society, you'll always have to, to reaffirm in yourself who you are. And so when I really started to ask myself, where does this all come from? And don't check out when I say this, because some of you are like, oh yeah, I've heard this. This, I believe with all my heart, comes from the, an identity issue. It's an identity crisis. It's really just an identity crisis when we judge one another. And I have some things written down because I, 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 need, you to, I need you to hear me on this. I believe all this is rooted in identity. It, it Really, the who you are will determine the how we respond and how we judge other people. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, it says that, that we don't even have the capacity to love other people. We love because he first loved us. And so you say, how can we truly love other people if we don't love ourselves first? That's why Jesus said, a new command I give you. I don't want you to love one another um, in the way that you, know, that you love yourself because what if you don't love yourself? I want you to love one another the way that I loved you. And he's the standard of love, not the way that we see ourselves in light of other people. And it's important we see that. I believe we, this, and this is what I wrote down, I believe this is how God has taught me this. We judge others because we judge ourselves against others. And we reaffirm or strengthen who we tell ourselves we are. And so if I were to come to some of you and, 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 and you would say to me, I'm valued, I would say, says who? Says who? You say, well, I'm loved. And I would say, says, says who? Like, who says you're loved? Say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'd say, well, says who? You say, I'm more than a conqueror. And I would respond again. Well, says who? And I, I need you to hear this. If God is not permitted to answer these questions, we will naturally attempt to answer them ourselves. And when we lose sight of who we are in the eyes of God, our judgment towards other people will increase. You want to know, if you want to find insecurity and pride and a manifestation of, of, of negativity and, and a fearfulness, find someone who forgets who they are in the eyes of God. And the moment you forget who you are in the eyes of God, you will attempt to answer the questions yourself by judging other people around you, whether in negative light or positive light, so that you can stay right where you think you are. I remember in a conversation with a few of the, uh, a few guys that we were having, and, and I didn't know these guys, and I don't know what it is. It's kind of like, maybe it's a man thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just my own insecurity. But I remember in this conversation, and we were talking about school. And I said, well, where did you go to school? And they told me where they went. I was like, well, what year did you go? And they told me the year. And I was like, well, you know, what position did you play? And they told me the position. And all of a sudden in my head, I'm thinking, well, we played them that year. I was playing, blah, blah, blah. And I remember looking at them like, we smashed you guys that year. And then as soon as it came out of my mouth, I remember saying, why did you say that? Well, I know why I said it. I wanted to just let him know, like, I'm better. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, I'm better. We, I'm better than you. And then the year after I graduate, they smashed our team, but I wasn't part of that team, so it's not me. You see what I'm saying? Like, and why do we do that? It's, it's almost like we try, we try to... We try to give ourselves a step up by comparing ourselves to other people, but we're stepping down. Wow. And so a lot of people actually think the more they judge people, and we do, this, we do this subconsciously, and we do it and it develops a sense of works in our salvation. And so we say to people, 
Ah, oh, man. Well, sucks to keep sinning. You know what I mean? Sorry. That's just your life. I mean, your life's going to suck if you just keep doing the bad things. But, I mean, if you're obedient, then you just, you know, then, you know, God blesses you. And you're just like, okay, then it's all based upon works then. Well, no, it's not. It's based upon, it's based upon grace, having faith in who can save you, not in your own self, in your own works, but the finished work of Jesus. And there's always this sense of humility that comes with walking in strength. And, and, and I think today it's almost like if you have a confidence, it sometimes can look as arrogance, but I really believe that I've never, I've never apologized in sharing um, Jesus with people. Never done. Like I've never at the beginning of this had to say, hey, oh, you may really not believe that he is the only way to the Father. And so I just, you might be offended. So I just want to apologize. But um, he is really the only way. And to find freedom, you actually need to surrender. Like I never do that. But you notice in a lot of other things, if you're tiptoeing around the edge of content, you're like, well, you may really hate this, but uh, I have to tell you, I don't really agree with that or I don't agree with this. And it's like, well, why don't we do it? It's because sometimes we haven't even, we haven't even, done enough soul searching in ourselves to determine what do I really believe and what do I really believe about what I believe meaning this there's so many movements today political party division social division economic division there's division on how do we respond with the health crisis of COVID-19 people are like oh we should start meeting well how dare you say we should start meeting what about those who are getting sick and people are like, well, they're not getting sick. Here are the statistics. And they say, how dare you talk about statistics when people are getting sick? And then other people say, well, our liberties are being taken. We should go back because our First Amendment right is the right to assemble. Yeah, but we can't do that. That's irresponsible. It's not wise. It's not loving. You don't care about people. And you see this argument, this cyclical argument that just keeps going. And you're always going to do something and someone will be offended. Someone's going to be offended. But this is the thing. Just because people have positions doesn't mean that you disarm yourself with truth. Because an enemy wants you to believe this. The only way you're going to be able to advance, disarm yourself with truth. And then everyone will be happy. Everyone can have their own truth. Everyone can do what they see is right in their own eyes. And you're like, well, wait a second. I heard that before. And then you turn to judges and you read through the stories of judges and you find out what happens when everyone does as they see fit in their own eyes. It's calamity, it's chaos, and it's sin at the max. And so we need to realize that when it comes actually to being carriers of peace and truth, it has to do with really how we carry it or the delivery method. And can I say this? Every one of us has a different delivery method. We do. We carry the same truth in Jesus, but all of us deliver it differently. Some of us deliver it through the, the differences that we have. And isn't this just funny, right? God calls us to advance the kingdom of God, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And sometimes it could be the difference that, that you have in society that sometimes alienates you, that God uses to advance his kingdom to people that feel just the way that you feel. And sometimes God wants to use the differences that you have, not to make you feel different or to separate you, but to actually do what he's called you do, to do, which is to advance the kingdom of God. One of the primary distinctions between biblical and non-biblical judgment is the heart of the person. Differences don't always demand debate. And some of you need to hear that on social media. The danger in social media is it gives a false sense of friendship. And I believe more than anything else, I, listen, I love social media. Our church has a social media account. I mean, I love social media personally. I have like four posts. So I'm like, I'm, 
Um, I, I, and I'll tell you why. Some people are, they love it. Other people like myself, I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm just, I believe in, in talking collectively to, to people and, and being more tangible in my discussions with people. And some of you who are friends of mine know this. I, if, if I have an opportunity to drive 40 minutes to talk to you in person or pick up the phone, I'm going to drive. Because I just believe in the contact of connecting with people. I think there's something deeper into it in the spiritual sense and in, in being able to be face-to-face with someone. I think this is where I, I, I see an erosion and a deterioration of maturity. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 18 that if a brother sins against me, that I'm to go to them in person. And one of the things I think we misappropriate as sin is the delivery method. Yeah. How dare you ask them in front of everybody, do they know Jesus? That was so insensitive. Why would you do that? And then I would say, well, if you knew me, I was getting sent to the principal office every week as a child. And they say, why are you doing that? I was like, I just like it when people laugh. You know what I'm saying? I just want people to laugh. Other people say, that's so disrespectful. Well, that's the development and the maturity that I need to grow in. Sometimes the, the, the maturity is, dis, is stifled because we actually don't have real relationships. Therefore, we really can't correct one another. And how many of you are offended on social media and you actually go to the person's house and say, hey, can I talk to you about something that I believe you did that was a sin against me? No one. No one does that. So you know what we do? We go on social media, we blow up, um, I don't like what you did, and blah, 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 and we post it. But hear me now, it's a false sense of maturity. I mean, my father used to do this. He goes, you guys... When it comes to dating today, when we were dating, I had no cell phones. If I was going to date, I had to go to the door, right, Doc? You had to knock on the door and say, I'd like to date your, your daughter. You know, you'd actually had to go there. You had to man up and go to the door and knock on the door. Now today, you don't, you don't have to do that. It's just different. It's the same with this dynamic of maturity. And you want to know how I know it actually is eroding maturity in our culture? Is because how many marriages do I talk to in our church and, and even beyond where the, the marriage is is dying because they are unwilling to talk with one another. And so don't tell me it's a proximity issue. It's not a proximity issue. It's a heart issue. And when you, because this is the thing, in a marriage, there could be discord and division, and it will lead to divorce. Unless there is a willingness to actually come together and talk about differences and work towards a sense of unity and peace, division will happen. But there has to be a willingness in it. And I believe that develops a great sense of, of maturity, spiritual maturity. To say, hey, can I talk to you as a brother and sister in Christ? Sometimes in our culture, it's, it's a chasing of, of individuals. Saying, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that post? Can I, can I just help you? Um, you represent Christ to people who do not know Christ. And when you know people well enough within the body of Christ, the only time we should correct one another, I believe this with all my heart, to the best of our ability, is to do so face-to-face. I believe, there's a, I believe there's a sense of honor. I believe there's a sense of commitment and a sense of real care um, towards someone when you say, hey, you know what? I dropped everything today because I, want, I love you so much. I just want to talk about this. And sometimes when we address that which we thought was offensive and a sin, we find out was a misunderstanding. But thank God that we went to them in person and we talked to them in person because that which could, could have caused a greater divide is actually healed and mended. And now what do I have? I gain a brother and a sister in Christ. But that does not happen if I just randomly throw out statements and comments. Okay, I'm moving on from social media. 
Our wrong judgments of other people always leave us in the wrong place. It either leaves us in a place of self-righteousness that says I'm better than them, or it leaves us in a place of self-condemnation where it says I'm just so, I'm, I'm terrible. I can never do anything right. I'm never going to get ahead. Nothing's ever good enough. And that's why when we judge ourselves against other people, we never actually get to the place in the way that God sees us, which enables us to live out that life that he's called us to live. Sometime when I was, or one time when I was in uh, elementary school, I remember early on the natural, do you guys remember when you were in elementary school, the, the natural, and high school, the natural collections of individuals that would gather? Um, whether it was around ethnicity, whether it was around academics, whether it was around sports, whether it was around whatever, people would naturally gather around one another. And, and you never would go around and someone would say, how dare you wrestlers or baseball players gather together around this lunch table? Where, get, lacrosse player, soccer player, right? you know, get, get them, sit at the table. You can't do this. This is wrong. It's never discrimination when you gather with like-mindedness unless the gathering together is exclusive to keep people different out. The moment our gathering is saying, oh, I'm sorry, you can't be, called, be part of this because you're different, that's discrimination. That's when, that's when judgment, prejudging someone, actually moves to discrimination when it violates someone's right to actually be part of the greater sense of society. That's discrimination. We know discrimination in the sense of race and gender um, and, and, and age in our culture today, but that happens in every aspect of society. Uh, I'll never forget, I was in, um, I think it was like eight, my seventh and eighth grade year. I don't know what got into me. I, I, I struggled in um, fifth and sixth grade. I, I w- just emotionally, I didn't like being in school, and it was a lot I know on my, on my parents. And, but I remember going into middle school and having this, breath of fresh air, you know, into my life. And I loved it, but my parents not so much because I was getting in trouble all the time, but I just wanted to have fun. And I would come home every day and I said, I just want to have fun. They're like, that's fine, but you're getting kicked out of class every day. You have to focus and do your work. I'm like, I know, I know. So I, I shared this story before, but in eighth grade, I remember uh, going into class one day and it was the class that I loved the most. Basically, I caused the most trouble in this class. And I'll never forget, I was in the class. The principal came down, says, Jesse, come with me. No one went, ooh, because it happened all the time. And so I went out to the, with, the, with the principal and we were walking down the, down the hallway. And I said, where are we going? He goes, oh, we're just going to have a quick chat. No idea what was going on. I walk into the room. All of my teachers are sitting around the big conference table. The principal was there. The vice principal was there. And my parents were at the end of the table. Talk about an intervention. And I remember going in there, and, and this is why I'm sharing this story. They basically said this to correct me. They said, to correct my course, they said, we're going to take you out of the environment that you're super comfortable in, and we're going to move you to an environment that you're not going to be so comfortable in. We're going to move you in the honors. And I remember going, ha, that's not. And I remember looking at my mom, she's straight face. We are. And I'm like, and then I was trying to get my father to laugh because I can always crack a smile out of him. <laughs> nothing, nothing. He didn't laugh. No, so I'm thinking like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm legit going into honors class. I was like, I, don't, I haven't paid attention all year. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. Do you know what I did? I was ripped out of the environment of comfort and placed into an environment that was unfamiliar with who I was. And it actually caused me to focus greater on what I was called to do but at the same time, I remember feeling this immense sense of insecurity, this sense of judgment. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. I've worked so hard to be in this honors class. I'm like, so did I. You know what I mean? 
just I didn't work hard on being good as a student. I was working hard on disrupting, whatever. But, but I remember feeling that sense of, of awkwardness in being in, in a room or a different environment. Does that compare to other issues today like racial injustice? Not even close, but I want you to know that that, that happens naturally in our humanity. We judge one another and we discriminate. Prejudice leads to discrimination. Discrimination leads to segregation. And then ultimately, as we divide one another, we, be, we find that discord and disunity are evident in our culture around us. Do you remember when the prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king? Remember this story? And God sent him to anoint um, the new king. And, and when he arrived, he saw one of the older sons and told himself, um, yeah, that must be him. It's probably like seeing Pastor Brian walk in, you know? He's like tall, handsome. And, uh, but it says that the prophet said that to himself. He says he saw him and said, surely this is the Lord's choice. Look at him. And then we find that, <laughs> I guess you're not it. You're not it. But then it says, the Lord does, and then this is what the Lord spoke to, to, to the prophet. And this is so important for us to hear this. Because we, we judge who we are based on the appearance of which we see. But the one who has the right to tell us who we are, he says, all that stuff that you use to judge yourselves and other people, I don't even use that. I discard all that. And you're using it to formulate your emotions, your self-confidence, your worth, your value, and all that. He says, I don't even look at those things. He says, the Lord does not look at it, the things that, the, that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There are ways to rightly and biblically kind of judge one another that will lead us to a greater unity, but doing it based on outward appearance is not the way that we get there. I wrote down here, and I said this, a very important distinction here is the biblical judgment is based upon someone's words or deeds. But I want you to understand, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you or I have the permission to judge someone's heart, their motives, or their intentions. Now, this is hard, and it gets into, it gets into slippery ground, because some of you may hear something, see something, or watch something, and you're like, ah, that's why they did it. That is why they did it. And, and, but you really, if you were really honest with yourselves, you, you really don't know, but you're making an assumption or a generalization, and it's dangerous to do that. The Bible says you, have, you and I, we have no right to judge the heart, the motives, and the intentions of somebody. We cannot do it. That's for God alone. We can't judge. So biblical judgment is not on judging someone's hearts, their motives, or their intentions. That's apart from it. So you might say, well, then how do we know we judge? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Well, as Christ followers, we're called and commanded to correct, rebuke, which is discipline and encourage. Well, the only way that you can correct someone from the course of action they're walking is if they're walking in the wrong way. So there has to be a right and a wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we don't believe as the relativistic society that we live in, that everything is what you say it is. We believe there is a right and there is a wrong um, in the way that the word of God speaks truth. So if we know that, then we can properly approach people and correct them if they're walking in a, in a, in a way that's dishonoring to God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, the ecclesia, the gathering together, remember? The called out ones. So we are one church, so we should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbor. 
Can I, can I help you in this? I don't think we grow stronger if we hide how we really feel. But then the fear is, I don't want to tell people how I really, really feel, because if I do that, they're going to judge me. So what do we do? We withhold judgment, but the only way we grow in maturity and relationship with one another and become stronger is if we share that out of a good heart and speak truthfully to one another. And, and sometimes it comes, listen, I don't know what you're going to think of this or what this means to you, but this is how I'm feeling. Help me understand. Help me get it. Help me, help me see the things that you see, because this is how I see it. Um, but I want to I, I see things from a different vantage point. If we don't do that, I don't believe we develop in our maturity. Yeah. Matthew 18, 15, if, you or your if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. You have won a brother and sister. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, a lot of times our responses aren't led by the Spirit. They're led by our natural reactions to correct someone because they're wrong and someone needs to tell them. Um, the other day I was talking with someone about my son, and uh, he's at the age, he's four years old, but he's very intuitive. Um, so he noticed uh, someone um, walking around the other day, and he, he drew attention to the fact that they were a larger individual. But he told me, you know, did you see how big their butt was, he said? <laughs> And I remember looking at him going, what? You know? And he says, someone should tell them. I said, it's not you. It's not you. You don't tell him that. You know? And I started to think about it because it was a bit funny, but we do that as adults. Oh, they're wrong. Someone needs to tell them. He's going to tell them. Well, I guess the Lord wants me to tell them. Do you know them? Are they your brother and sister? Do you care for them? And I'll just say this when it comes to correction. How much have you invested into that relationship before you're willing to correct it? And if we live in a culture today, it's like, ah, I need to correct it. Well, what have you spoken into it? What have you called out of it? What have you put in? In, in marriage, we talk about the, uh, the love bank, right? Uh, some people don't understand this, but it's like for every, you need to make sure that your, your deposits, your words of affirmation, encouragement, support, love, and care are there on a daily basis because sometimes you can get in the habit of constantly making withdrawals correcting and rebuking and criticizing. But we need to make sure in our relationship that there's equity in the relationship so that when we go to rebuke or correct somebody, we can say, no, you love me. How do I know that? You have relational equity with me. You care about me. That's important as we grow in our maturity with God. Matthew 7, 15. I'm giving a lot of verses. Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is how the Bible says we judge one another. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? We need to use wisdom when it comes to judging people. So we know scripturally we can't judge someone's heart, motives, or intentions. Well, what can we judge? The Bible says you can judge someone by their fruit. Um, how many of you are farmers? Um, no one in here. And um, so it would basically be upon someone's track record of life. That's what scripture's saying. Judge someone based on their track record. What does their track record look like? It doesn't mean that we tie someone's future to their track record. It doesn't mean we say, up oh, because you made mistakes. Well, time out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one, right? So we don't say, oh, because you were here, you can't be here. That's the message of, of grace. That's the gospel of reconciliation. He, he redeems that which was lost to a place of, of, 
of, of sonship. That's what the Bible declares, right? And that's what we proclaim to people. But the Bible also says that we can judge one another based on our track record. What's produced in our lives? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, you're familiar with this passage because you've you probably read through it before after the Beatitudes, and it's a, powerful, it's a powerful demonstration of hypocrisy. And I think this is important for our culture today because um, when discord and division is rampant, um, hypocrisy happens so much you forget what it even looks like um, because everyone's doing it. Whoa, 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 whoa. And for every finger that you point, you got a picture, there's five more pointing back at you. But we keep pointing the finger. And we convince ourselves that if I identify what is broken enough, it'll stop. No, that's not how we usher in peace. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So does he tell him not to remove the speck from his brother's eye? No, he still instructs him to do that. But he says, but before you become a hypocrite and start criticizing other people for their issues, maybe you should deal with your own heart first. And so this really has to do with the condition of the heart. And I, I'll say this, when it comes to really conveying and connecting with people, um, if the heart's not in the right place, if you think that you're really going to help this person because the only way that we're going to have a peaceful society is if everyone sees things the way that I see them or if everyone would just be super kind. Can I tell you something? Um, we live in a fallen world. There are broken people in the church, outside of the church. The Holy Spirit should guide us and direct us in our, in our steps each and every day. And I want to encourage you, church, listen, as we grow in our knowledge of God, I think we should be slow to speak. We should be quick to listen. We should actually posture ourselves in a place of humility and be, and, and be willing immediately before offense even happens, say, you know what, if I am offended, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive, and I'm not going to forgive based upon the fact if they see things the way that I see them. And we need to recognize that God's at work in the church. He's at work around the world. He's doing something. And I really believe the only way that you deal with the root of a problem is to first begin with it within your own heart. And we need to recognize that a lot of what we're seeing today is the symptom of things. Pain expresses itself in a unique way. But God has sent us to this earth, called us, set us apart, redeemed us, and is refining us and sanctifying us in a sense of holiness before himself so that we can be better ambassadors and we can help people be reconciled to God. I want you to know that you and I judge one another, but ultimately we will all be judged before God someday. The Bible says that Sin does something in our heart. It actually separates us from having a relationship with God. And the only way that that sin can be dealt with is through, the, through a sacrifice, through the shedding of blood. Some people ask me often, they say, well, why did Jesus have to die? What was the big deal? If he wanted to, he could just snap his finger and say, ah, everyone is saved. But we serve a just God. 
And so when there is sin evident, there needs to be a consequence or payment for that sin. Or, or es essentially, God would be changing. He would just be changing his mind all the time. But that's not who our God is. He's a just God. He's a faithful God. He's a loving God. And so what does he do to deal with the sin in humanity that separates us from God? He sends his one and only son to earth. We're not striving to get to him. He sends him to earth to redeem us, to heal us to mend our brokenness. He goes to the cross and he bleeds and he dies and he suffers for all humanity. And then on the third day, he was raised to life. And we as Christians, we place our hope and our trust in him, in Jesus. He is the center of our focus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And if you're listening today and in this chaotic world filled with division and disunity, and if you just want a sense of peace, can I tell you, it's not going to come through you appeasing everybody else and just having people that always agree with you and correcting everyone that's wrong. It's only going to be ushered through the Spirit of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And so that if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Some of you are saying it's a simple prayer. It's a simple one, but significant one. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so some of you might be saying it's just a simple prayer. There is. It's a, it's a simple prayer, but significant one. And the real connecting point to all of this is that there is a point of repentance in your heart. Some people say, well, why would I repent? Well, you would repent because you know what the gift is that you're receiving. You say, what gift? It's the gift of Jesus that brings salvation. Sin takes you to a place you don't want to go, but the gift of Jesus Christ places you in a place of authority and sonship before God. And so we recognize who we have and what we've received in Christ, and he draws us to a place of repentance. He says, God, forgive me of my sins. I've done things wrong, but I want to receive you. I'd love to lead you in this prayer to receive Jesus. So right where you are, just bow your head right now and just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and were raised to life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, church.